Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you, Exodus chapter 2. Exodus, the second chapter. Journeying through Exodus as you're finding your way to Exodus 2. Exodus is written by Moses. It is written to every new generation of God's people as a reminder to them forever of how God delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. A quick recap of last week's time in Exodus 2. Moses, our author, is born a Hebrew boy. He's born during a, an attempted eradication of the Hebrew people. That needs to be understood. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, chapter 2, tries to eradicate the people of God. It is male infanticide, kill every newborn male child, toss them into the river, do away with them. That needs to be remembered. That is an important point in this early, indeed throughout the whole thing, but in this early portion of Exodus. <clears throat> Attempted eradication of the people miraculously, Moses is spared by what the Bible says, the faithful and fearless act of his parents. By faith, his parents concealed him for three months for they did not fear the king's edict, Hebrews tells us. Saved miraculously through the fearful and faithful actions of his parents and the unlikely compassion of Pharaoh's daughter, Moses finds himself adopted as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We found in Acts 7.22 that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Later in chapter 3, this is going to become very important. I just want you to take note of that. Acts 7.22, note takers, you want to keep that at the forefront of your notes. Acts 7.22, he was schooled in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. We're going to look more at that next week. Moses, however, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Hebrews giving us commentary on this. 11.24 and 25 says, Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of of sin. I want you to pay attention to that phrase this morning as we work through. We have seen a spirit rise up in Moses. We had him born early in chapter 2 and then he grows. Verse 11, when he had grown up, something rises up within him. Acts says something came into his heart. And he sees an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew. He rises up and strikes down the Egyptian, thinking that his people would rally to him as a savior. Despite a good thing having stirred in his heart, Moses murders a man. He's a murderer. He is rejected and convicted by the Hebrews, Exodus 2.14. Who made you prince over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? He's rejected Convicted by the Hebrews, he is wanted by Pharaoh. Verse 15 of chapter 2 says Pharaoh wants him dead. That's important. Not dead or alive. Pharaoh wants him dead. He flees to Midian and Acts 7.29 tells us that Moses becomes an exile. In Midian, the deliverer spirit rises up again. 
Only this time he doesn't strike anyone down. He comes to the defense of some shepherd girls, saves them from some bad guys, rescues their sheep, waters their sheep. He does not step outside of God this time, and he is welcomed by the father of the shepherd girls, Reuel, given a wife, Zipporah, and has a son, Gershom. It's very important, though, that at this moment in time, only Moses has left Egypt. The Hebrew people are still in bondage. Moses has left Egypt. The Hebrews are still back there. Now we come to the text for today. Would you turn your attention? Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. We're going to read through verse 10 of the third chapter. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad place, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Heavenly Father, we come before you in this moment. As we turn our attention to your word, and I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would speak and instruct us as we examine your scripture. Father, I pray that you would speak to me as you speak through me. To those that have gathered here, I pray, God, that your word would come to bear by the power of your spirit on the ears of all who have gathered here. I pray, Father, that sinners would be humbled to repentance. I pray, Father, that holiness would be promoted among your people, and I pray that the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be exalted in this time. In his name we pray. Amen. I titled the sermon, Heard, Remembered, Seen, Known. I have a question for you to write down as we work through this morning. The question you can write down is, how do we find comfort in suffering, affliction, and exile? How do we find comfort in suffering, affliction, and exile? 
verse 23, chapter 2. During these many days, I want to remind us, we learned in Acts 7.23 that the events of chapter 2, verse 11 through 22, happened when Moses was 40 years old. By the time we meet Moses, he is born, and in 10 short verses, he is 40 years old, and now he is in exile in Midian. When Moses returns to Egypt, more specifically when he finally speaks to Pharaoh over in chapter 7, the Bible tells us that Moses is 80 years old. So those big leaps of time throughout God's word, we have Moses born, we have him at 40, we have him at 80. Moses' life is constructed into three neat and tidy 40-year sections. He's 120 when he comes to his death. We are finding him in the middle third of his life. I don't know exactly how old he is. Somewhere between 40 and 80 years old. When he shows up in Pharaoh's courts and says to Pharaoh, let my people go, he is 80 years old. What happens here is noteworthy. Verse 23, these many days, a period of time covering 40 years, the king of Egypt died, but the people were not released. That king who was wicked and who oppressed them and who, chapter 1 tells us, treated them ruthlessly as slaves, is dead. And whoever becomes the king after him doesn't do any good for the people of Israel. He's dead. Verse 23, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. For the first time in their bondage, which we are not sure how long it is, for the first time in their bondage, the people of Israel are crying out. It says they groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. They realized that they were powerless to do anything about the situation, the circumstance that they found themselves in. We can't pinpoint when Pharaoh enslaved Israel. It happens for us sometime between chapter 1 and chapter 2. This happens They're enslaved. It's been at least 40 years because Moses is born during a time of slavery. He grows to 40 years old and they're enslaved. So we're talking what we can let our minds run with at least 50 years, half a century, maybe more. We don't know. Remember we talked a few weeks ago about pinpoint precision. Precision dating here is not the important thing. They have been enslaved in Egypt and mistreated as slaves for a long time. And they are now finally groaning Because of their slavery, they are now calling out to God. Interesting. They cry out after they are mistreated. They cry out after the babies are killed. And they cry out after that Pharaoh dies. It's important, I think, for us to remember something. If you would turn back to, you don't have to turn there, but back in Genesis 45... Verses 16 through 20. It's important for us always to keep in mind how the people of Israel came to be in the land of Egypt. Genesis 45, 16 through 20, it says this. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, and this is what was heard, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you, underline it, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, 
take wagons filled, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your father, for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Interesting wording back in Genesis 45. And what have we learned of Moses to this point? Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses threw off the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses chose mistreatment with the people of God rather than the fleeting pleasures of sin. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, he considered the reproach of Christ as greater honor. But to this point in history, the people of Israel were kind of blessed going into Egypt. Not kind of, they certainly were. Now, I'm not insinuating that they were in sin, but I am mindful as Moses is writing to us under the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit that earlier Moses wrote about the woman in the garden looking for too long at fruit on a tree that was pleasing and acceptable and took it and sinned. I'm mindful that Moses told us about that, and now we see the Israelites coming into Egypt. You'll have the fat of the land. You'll have the best of everything. Have no concern for any of your goods. I will give you all that you need. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 tell us all the world has to offer. The desire of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, and the pride of life. And I'm mindful that the Israelites are in Egypt living a good life, enjoying all of the pleasures of the land of Egypt, dwelling in a good land under the blessing of God. And then a king, who died, a king died who did not know Joseph and enslaves the people. I have to think they might not have been too easy to enslave. They were enjoying all the good of the land. We're going to see another king arise in a little bit who says, who is this God? Egypt represents, if there's nothing else that you glean through all of our journey through Exodus, Egypt represents a godless, sinful, barren wasteland void of God. Egypt is never spoken of well in all of the Bible. There's judgment from God because of Egypt. And here are the Israelites they're living well in the land for quite some time. We've learned from Genesis, from Exodus chapter 1. They're dwelling for quite some time, enjoying all that the land has to offer. But now they are enslaved. Now they are mistreated. Now they are beaten. Now their babies are being killed. And now that king who did it is dead. And the new king is doing nothing to help them. Pastor, you really drew that point out. I certainly did. Because when we are suffering... When we are afflicted, do we not often then turn to God? Is it not often that we live in ease first before turning to God? Is it not often that as we are living our lives and as things are going well that we are tempted to not remember the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of a sudden slip into, I kind of enjoy Egypt I want to remind you that this people, they will leave Egypt and later accounts of them in the desert as soon as the Red Sea has parted, they will say, was it not better for us in Egypt? 
Remember the cucumbers, the melons, and the leeks, they will say, literally. One will say, I remember the fish. I want to go back, and look what it says here as we read this passage. Look what it says. Turn your attention to God's word, the end of verse 23. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. The Bible does not say, the Lord did not show us their cry of deliverance from Egypt. They didn't want to be slaves anymore. Because this nation, who is enslaved now and ruthlessly treated, they just want the good life again. Because as soon as they're in the wilderness, they want to go back to Egypt. Do you understand? Immediately, it's, it's already written on the pages of Scripture for us. It's right there. Save us, God, from this bad experience. Not take us from the land. Not set a new ruler over us. Not remove us from this barren place to what? They could have appealed to God and said, Oh, God of our fathers, that you would take us to the land that you swore to our fathers. Remember your covenant. And instead... They simply want to be set free from being slaves. And their pattern will show us that they wanted to remain in Egypt. And we would do well to learn from their experience and admit in our lives that we like our sin. We need to renounce our sin. The Israelites will struggle with this throughout all of their history, and God's people still to this day, all of their history, struggle with renouncing sin. But now they're slaves, they've been mistreated, baby boys killed, this king is dead, a new king comes up. It's interesting to me, I just made note that it's the harshest of circumstances. The harshest of circumstances that turns them to look up and cry out to God. And you're asking yourself, if you're thinking, Pastor, why is it? Why is it that it's always the harshest of circumstances? So many of us in the room, we don't have an easy journey. We've got a story that represents trouble and turmoil. And coming to Christ was not simple. If we're all honest, we kicked against the goad to steal from the Apostle Paul. God says to Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goad, isn't it, Paul? I'm, I'm stirring you to me, Paul, but it's hard when you resist me. It's not an easy experience. It's often the harshest of circumstances that cause us to look up and cry out to God. Why? Why? Because God's greatness shines the brightest when we are most needy and desperate. God would not let Gideon triumph over 120,000 of the enemy coming against them with 32,000 men. He would not let him with 22,000 men. He would not let them with 10,000 men. He let Israel at the hand of Gideon defeat 120,000 warriors with 300 men. 
That's never happened in the history of the world outside of that moment in time. And why? Because God achieved the victory. God's glory, God's greatness shone the brightest in their greatest need. In your greatest need, God's glory shines brighter. Also noteworthy, look what happens. More than the death of the king, more than them actually calling out to God, Moses tells us next, look at this. Verse 24, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. Pastor, did God forget? Was God choosing to not listen? Why does it say that he remembered? Did he forget? Sometimes languages confuse us a little bit. Why was God not looking at them? Because I sure know what it's like when God's not looking at me. God hadn't forgotten a thing. God had not forgotten a thing. Remember that this slavery, remember that this bondage is not a surprise to God. In Genesis 15, he says to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be afflicted, that they will be mistreated, that they will suffer. We don't know whenever the beginning point of 400 years was. God says they will be afflicted for 400 years. All we know at this point is we must be kind of nearing the end of it. It's that very covenant that God is talking about right here. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And then we move from Egypt to the middle of the desert. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. Uh, Pastor, wait, um, a minute ago you said that his father-in-law's name was Reuel, up in verse 18 of chapter 2. Why now is his name Jethro? Listen, some of you have a different name that I call you too. Two names for one person is not an uncommon thing. This is not a different father-in-law. There are a lot of speculations, a lot of debates about this. Moses' father-in-law, his name was Jethro. It is possible that Reuel was the name of a clan leader and not specifically his father-in-law. I, a lot of reading and a lot of research leads me to one man, two names, and you're like, I don't know if I can, Pastor, Jacob and Israel. Literally, in the story, Jacob and Israel, two, one man with two names, not that hard to come by. Of note, Moses is not just living a life of ease now. Remember what happened to him? Come welcome him. Give him bread to eat. He's given a wife. The wife gives him a son. Moses is, after fleeing as a murderous fugitive, Moses is now dwelling in a land that is perhaps a little more comfortable. But look what he's doing. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. Look at this. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. That is to say he led them away to the west side of the wilderness and came to Mount Horeb. You should underline that, the mountain of God. That's going to come back later in Exodus. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. 
I listened to a preacher who died before I was born, but they have a lot of his sermons recorded, and he was talking about this experience for Moses, just an ordinary guy on an ordinary day, doing ordinary things, when all of a sudden the extraordinary happens to him. Often we are looking in extraordinary moments for something extraordinary to happen, but all throughout the scripture, supernaturally incredible things happen out of absolute monotony. Just an ordinary guy on an ordinary day leading ordinary sheep. However, not the first shepherd keeping watch over his flock that will encounter a message from God. Not the last one. It says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him. I want to deal with that phrase, angel of the Lord. You can go through the Old Testament and you can find this phrase often. And you have to be very discerning whether we are talking about an actual angelic being or whether we are talking about a pre-incarnate manifestation of the second person of the Holy Trinity, the eternal Son of God. Now, it's been debated even here in this passage. What does that mean? The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Listen, I don't know what Moses saw, but when I read, I know who he met. I am, I am led to believe, I'm, 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 uh, I'm giving you my opinion of this passage, this is a pre-incarnate experience with the eternal Son of God. Moses is not seeing an angel, he is encountering the Lord God, and I think the text is going to lead us to see that together. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire, also of note. God often shows up in flames of fire. In fact, the covenant that God made with Abraham saying, no, for certain that your offspring will be, they will be enslaved and oppressed, immediately after that, God ratifies that covenant with a burning fire pot. Like flame is often used. Remember the manifestation of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to the apostles in the upper room and the 120 gathered there was what? As flames of fire on their head. Not uncommon for an angel to appear in a flame of fire like three Hebrew boys thrown into a blazing fiery furnace that killed the men at the door. And they said, behold, I see four. And one has an appearance that's not of this world. Not at all out of the realm of possibility that we would be experiencing the Lord Jesus Christ pre-incarnate, the second person of the Trinity here. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Well, it's probably, you know, just a, probably a, a living bush, probably green. It's really hard to burn green wood. Yeah, it's also really hard to do a miracle when you're not God. The Bible says the bush burned and was not consumed. It's fascinating to me. God comes down to meet with Moses. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, rightfully so, I will see this. Preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones says it is not uncommon. I love what he said. It ministered to me. It's not uncommon for people to turn toward phenomenon. Just a thing that's happening. I want to go see this thing that's happening. They turn to a phenomenon. Moses is experiencing a phenomenon here. The bush is burning, but the bush is not consumed. And, and that's not how fire works. So why is the bush not consumed? I will go and see it. And when the Lord saw 
that he turned aside to see God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said three words that you should write down, here I am. Not the first, not the last that will say this. Then he said, do not come near. Do not come near. We would do well to remember that our God is holy and unlike us, and we approach him on his terms. We don't storm into the burning bush and say, Lord, I'm here to to see what's going on here. I'm here to make my plea to you. I'm here to tell you how things are going to go. Moses, take off your sandals, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. The bush doesn't, it burns, but it's not consumed. I made, men, I made note in my mind of a verse in Hebrews, and Moses would declare, our God is a consuming fire, but in this moment the bush burns and is not consumed. God got his attention. God called, God called to him. Here I am. Do not come near. Take off your shoes for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. This is not just some angelic being because angels do not receive the worship of God's people. This is some manifestation of the blessed Trinity appearing in the midst of this bush as a flame of fire talking to Moses and then, oh man, and then God reveals his plan to Moses. And he said, as he's rightly worshipped, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Okay, yes, yes, Lord. I'm getting rid of the sandals. Yes, Lord. Moses, it says that he's afraid. He hides his face. This is the same Moses who's like, later, I want to see you. In like 20 chapters, he's going to say, show me who you are. I want to see you, God. And God will say, you cannot see me. And I wonder in that moment, did Moses think, I want to see you, even though I remember when you showed up and I was afraid to look at you because you were burning in the midst of a bush. Take off your sandals, okay, Lord. And he, the Lord, said, I am. We're going to get to that much more next week. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. If you're a note taker, if you write in the margins of your Bible, you are cross-referencing now this verse, verse 8. You're writing remembered, and you're looking back to verse 24. God remembered his covenant. This is a memory of I have made a covenant with man. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses certainly knows who he's talking to now. There's no question who is in the bush speaking to God, and then he records for us what God said. I've remembered my covenant, Moses. Look what he says. I have seen. I have heard. I know their sufferings. I hear the cry of my people. I remember my covenant with my people. I see the affliction of my people. I see, I know the suffering of my people. Yet here we stand, praising God this morning for his imminence, his nearness, his closeness. And how often we think that God has forgotten us. 
that God doesn't see us, that God doesn't hear us. How often I have prayed, how often I have prayed recently, how often I prayed this week. Do you hear? Are you a God that hears my cry? Are you listening? Do you remember? How dare we? God is transcendent, meaning he is high above, far above, unlike us. He is holy. He is righteous. Yet he is so near and he is so involved. Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses would write, What nation has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? The psalmist would write, 3418, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. James would write in the New Testament, chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. David in the Psalms. How often we just recite Psalm 23 because we love to think of the Lord our shepherd, but David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm not wanting. He gives me rest. He leads me. He restores my soul. He guides me in righteousness for the glory of his name. I wonder how often we're walking in righteousness on our own power for the glory of God's name instead of walking guided by God for his glory. Do you understand the difference in those two statements? Not walking in my righteousness for God's glory, but being led by God for his glory in righteousness. God stringing along his servants after him for his glory, leading us in righteousness for his glory. David says, he's with me, I will not fear. In the brutality and despair of their bondage, God had not forgotten his promise to Abraham, to his possession, to his own people. And we read this, and you know why we're tempted to say, did God forget? Because that's what we feel. God has forgotten me. Would God forget them like he forgot me? No. In their bondage, in the brutality, treated ruthlessly as slaves, as slaves watching their children be killed, God is not absent. He wasn't distracted from their burden. There wasn't some other all-important cause that he should turn his attention to. God, in this moment, is telling Moses, I'm acting according to my perfect plan, in my perfect time, for my glory and for your good. All too often, we want that to be mixed around. God, we would like you to operate in our good, and we will give you glory. But if that could be in our time, that'd be better. Listen, these are real stinging things that I'm saying for myself right now. I just led us in prayer about where we're going to meet in a few months. If you don't think that's the most pressing thing on my mind in prayer for us as a church, you're out of your mind. It presses on me all the time. You know what presses on me after that? That you are operating in unity with one another. That I am living a sinless life before God, requiring his help, demanding the movement of the Spirit in my life to be pure because I cannot on my own. God, we will give you glory if you would act in our perfect time according to our perfect plan, we'll glorify you. No. God says, uh-uh, I tell you what, 
I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and subdue you under the Egyptians, and you will worship me because of my glory while you are subdued. You will call out to me because I am God, and regardless of your condition, I am worthy of glory. God is acting as he always has and as he always will in his perfect time for his glory and the good of his people. And sometimes the good of his people is suffering in the bondage of Egypt. We just don't want to be there. Remember what he said, though? Let's remember what he said. They're going to be afflicted because I'm dealing with something else while they're afflicted. They're learning to glorify me back in Genesis 15. The, the iniquity of the Amorites is not full. You're going to be distracted in, in oppression over here and you will give me glory. He's going to say, I will lead them out by my hand. The good of God's people has always been the deliverance of God's people. And the deliverance of God's people has always meant God's personal, active involvement with his people. This is not figure it out on your own kind of stuff. Look what he says, verse 8. He says, I am the God of your fathers. I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry. I know their suffering, verse 8. And I have come down to deliver them. Man, I wish God would do that for me. Look at this right here. Focus your attention on the bread and the juice right here. This is a reminder to us that God came down to deliver. That's why we do this. We are not hoping that God will deliver. We're not crying, wondering, are you hearing me? God has heard. God knew your oppression. God knew what you were going to need in your sin. The deliverance of your sinful soul, God knew you would need that. And the deliverance of God's people has always meant his own personal involvement. Look what he says in verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of Israel, out. The deliverance of God's people has always meant his own personal, active involvement. Jesus came down just as Moses is led. Jesus comes down, and here's the great difference between the two. In Moses, God came down and operated through him. He's an imperfect deliverer. In Jesus... God came down as God and operated. This is, I tell you, in churches today, there are plenty of churches out there right now that want to try and disconnect the deity of Jesus Christ. And we will not do that. If you want to fight on that, just find a new church to go to. Jesus Christ is God. God did not come down through Jesus God came down the Lord Jesus and delivered his people. Jesus Christ is God. And just as God came down to deliver Israel through Moses, he came down Jesus as God. And to hear the voice of the Savior. I wonder if you're hearing all of Israel and considering your own life. Suffering, affliction, exile, ruthless, I wonder if you're considering the like state of your own life. And I consider the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, 
all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Afflicted, suffering, laboring, Christ says, come to me. Doesn't just end it. Doesn't just end it, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly at heart. Christ says, you will find rest for your souls. Next week, we're going to learn about trusting God's power and not in our own as we see Moses doubt his ability. We'll deal with that next week, today. To the one enslaved in sin, yearning for freedom, the example of the Israelites to you is look up and cry out. Look up to God and cry out. The one who longs to be set free. You're here. I see people that seem free. I see people worshiping God, but I just feel like I'm stuck in bondage. And you may be. Have you ever lifted your eyes to the Lord God in heaven and called out that he would set you free? God, save me, a sinner. To the one enslaved in sin, yearning for freedom, look up and call out to God. He is a God that delivers. To the Christian, remember that question I gave you a while ago? How do we find comfort in suffering, affliction, and exile? Because let's be honest, we don't look to be comforted when we're suffering. But it is often suffering that turns us to look for something. 2 Corinthians will end here today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. How do we find comfort in suffering and affliction and exile? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. He would go on to say down in verse 8, For we, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I wonder if anybody's despairing of life today. Indeed, we felt that we received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. How do we find comfort in suffering, affliction, and exile? By trusting God who remembers his covenant. He's made a covenant with us. Through Jesus Christ, this is, Christ literally says, this is the blood of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it. He remembers his covenant. He hears us. He sees our affliction. He knows our suffering. And you can take that to any nook and cranny of your life. God remembers his covenant. He hears his people. He sees you. He knows you. How do you find comfort in suffering, affliction, and exile? By trusting God who delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. 
He's never late. His deliverance is never insufficient. He's never distracted. He's never worrying about something else. God's deliverance is always in God's perfect time according to his perfect plan. How many of us are praying for lost souls? God, why are they not saved yet? Save them. His plan. His time. Father, I need you to come through in this thing kind of by like tomorrow morning would be good. My time. My plan. Father, I'm burdened. I'm afflicted. I live in this relationship. It's toxic. Is there any relief for me, God? Do you hear me? I struggle, God, with this addiction. I can't let go of it. I can't get rid of it. Do you hear me, Father? He hears you. He remembers. He sees. He knows you. Moses experienced him. Consider Moses' life as we turn our attention now towards the Lord's Supper. Consider Moses' life. He's a fugitive murderer on the run. I'll send you to deliver my people. Oh, that's a good one, Lord. I already tried that. They don't want to be delivered. I don't think they want that, Lord. I tried. Didn't work out so well. That's why I'm here watching these sheep on your mountain. Moses, you tried. Now I'm going to do it. Now I have come down to deliver my people. I'm going to pray. Then we'll open the table of the Lord's Supper for you to come and receive the elements. Represented in this is a Savior that came down to deliver. His perfect blood, his perfect body, broken, dead for our sin in his perfect plan, according to his perfect time, that we may be delivered. Father, we come before you today mindful of our sin, our need for deliverance. Father, tempted so often to doubt, tempted so often to think that you do not hear us. Oh God, forgive us. Father, I pray that as we see you set the stage and then show up to deliver your people, I pray, Father, that we will remember, especially through this observance, this moment of worship, the Lord's Supper, your meal with your people in this life. I pray that we will remember, God, that you are a God who remembers your covenant. Father, for the sinner in the room that is not in your family, I pray that you would save them. I pray that the gospel has been implanted in their heart today. I pray, Father, that through our witness they have tasted something of how good you are and that they would turn by faith in Jesus Christ, repent of sin, and be saved. Father, for the Christian, I pray that you would help us always to remember the Israelites in bondage are your people. And they are in bondage. Just as we, Christians in this life, are in bondage, set free from eternal damnation and destruction, set free through faith in Jesus Christ, but still here in Egypt, groaning to you. God, save us. Father, we are so thankful for Jesus Christ. We are so thankful that you came down and died for us that we may live for you. Help us, Father. 
God, I pray you would be honored as we observe the meal, your supper. I pray you be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.